0: Sari Zoot is a seed stage investor, design thinker, product strategist, and storyteller. She spends her days investing in building consumer technology companies for the sake of people, not for the sake of technology. Currently, she invests in early stage startups at Level Ventures and is building Startupy, a company building tools to help humans collectively curate the best knowledge on the internet. Her life's work is committed to investing and helping founders build empathetic technology products that make human life better. In her spare time, she writes about humanizing tech, building the future, personal growth, and raising children. She was born and raised in Columbia, educated in Rhode Island, trained in New York City, and is developing her life's work in Miami. Today we spoke about founding versus investing, parenting, indexing knowledge, collective intelligence, and good questions. Hope you enjoy. Cool. So. Sorry, for, for starters, you have a pretty eclectic background, right? Like, I mean, you did you did time in banking on your own startups and venture. Like, why don't we walk through that first to give ourselves a bit of a foundation here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I you know started my career in investment banking, like a lot of people out of college, I did it out of necessity. I was an international student. It was the only job that gave me a visa. I really wanted to stay in the US. But it's interesting. I think I, that work never feel, felt tangible for me. I, I sort of feel like I need to understand the impact of what I'm doing. And when I was trading like bond paper on a trading desk, I was like, you know, what? You know, what is actually like happening behind the scenes? So it felt pretty odd to me. I left soon after and launched my first startup, which was a secondhand apparel marketplace. I did that for a couple of years exited that business, and then decided to go into strategy consulting for startups, ran the strategy team at a venture studio, and also ran the venture arm for a family office. And you know, I think that when you are a founder, you're sort of laser focused on one thing, one industry. And you know, when you're investing, you're sort of like connecting the dots, seeing across fields, so it's a very different thing. I sort of got an itch to start my own thing again about a year ago. Not really because I wanted to start something, but because I sort of accidentally landed on something that I just couldn't stop thinking about. And I think ultimately, I'll always continue to invest. But I love the idea of committing for the long haul to one thing and becoming like continually better at that one thing. As an investor, you can't really change the course of a company. Like you you could tell a founder or something, but, you know, it's really hard to get in the weeds, you know, the, like strategy has a or execution has a surprising amount of detail. And as somebody that did strategy consulting for so long, you know, I could do strategy in my sleep, but the execution part of it—that's what's really like tricky and complex, and you know, it's really hard. But it, it really brings me alive. It makes me feel very sort of alive to go from idea to execution. And so I'm happy to to be in the spot today.
0: You're like already anticipating my questions, which is pretty cool to see. But having had the chance to sit, like you said, on both sides of the table as a founder, as an investor, what would you say are the biggest differences in mindset between founding and investing? First of all, you touched on a little bit and also how much of one's skill set is transferable to the other, which is basically to say, do you think it's easier to move in one direction as opposed to the other?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that being an operator gives you an edge as an investor because the kinds of the, the kinds of questions that you'll ask companies just, you know, tend, like I, I'll sometimes get on the phone with an investor and they, you know, the questions they ask are not really like the questions keeping me up at night. And so maybe it's because I'm a very sort of product minded thinker and early stage venture is really like, all about the product. I I I really think that having an operating background can be really helpful. I think I mean honestly the biggest difference is that investors put, you know, don't put all their eggs in one basket. And so from a lifestyle perspective, you're not just sort of like risking everything for one thing. And so you know, there it's it's definitely, you know, from a risk perspective, being a founder is definitely harder at the end of the day like you know when i was an investor i was making better money you know it's it's lifestyle wise i don't think there's a there's a comparison i mean the 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 numbers like the odds are stacked against founders always which is why i think that you know it's like missionaries over mercenaries you have to sort of like really like commit to this thing for a decade plus and make sure that you know that it's a thing that you really want to do for for the long haul but yeah i certainly feel like i'm a much better founder uh, Given my experience investing, I think when you're investing, you have an ability to pattern match. You see so many narratives and stories and, you know, you you could just like connect the dots across fields in really unique ways. And I'm really grateful for that.
0: I'd be curious to like dig in on that a little bit. Has that mindset shifted for you at all over the course of your life because you mentioned that you really you're just like enamored with this idea of having this one thing that you can just become great at and work on for like really really long periods of time were you ever sort of on the opposite end of that spectrum in terms of wanting to sort of see all these different types of ideas and and pattern match in that same way you were talking about
1: a hundred percent i think after doing my first startup i just wanted to learn about all sorts of things and i think that I spent oof like almost five years doing consulting for startups. And maybe it's because I guess what happened to me personally is that I was doing a lot of consulting. The the output of that was just a presentation that usually like ended up collecting dust in a drawer. And it was a really good presentation. I thought it had, you know, oftentimes there were, you know, there were a lot of legs, but I had no say in the execution of those things. And so Around that time, I also started a Substack newsletter where I said, you know, a lot of my ideas are, you know, buried in these presentations that, you know, only clients that pay for it get. But you know, what if I have just like used a tool like Substack to cast like a wider net and like use that as a microphone to share some of those ideas? And they really resonated. I got lucky that that you know my, my Substack newsletter organically grew. And so, I, you know, I, that was sort of like the creator side of me and I and, and that's I guess was the the beginning of me sort of scratching my own itch and going from and you know, I think I've I've learned enough from just looking at a bunch of different things and I'm I'm ready to now, you know, build build my own thing.
0: Got it. So, you've done the founding thing, you've done the investing thing, and on top of all of this, you're also a mother. I think I'm a pretty long way from having kids myself, but I also think parenting is like A really good exercise in sort of distilling the habits that actually matter in life so with that in mind what would you say are the highest i think i think roi is like a totally inappropriate term to use here but maybe just the most important habits you're looking to instill in your own kids
1: Uh, yeah it's such a good question i mean (laughs) parenting is so hard and i think that i think in many ways we parents today have it wrong. Like there's so much pressure and anxiety over grades and achievement and, you know, and focus and the bigger picture. And I'm really trying to instill a love of learning and like just independent inquiry. And, you know, to me, like the fact that parents are obsessed with having all sorts of extracurricular activities, but having dinner at the dinner table every night is not sort of like looked at with the same level of rigor feels really off to me. So as far as like habits for me, you know, Dinner table is a really important one. Like, you know, let's make sure that, that you know, that family comes comes first. The other thing is like, and you know, th- this one's hard. My, my children are young, but in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking like, I don't want to do anything for my kids that they can do for themselves. So really like instill independence. And the other one is like, so collaboration, like really working with kids, like they're your partners in crime and, and trust. I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, like if my son, does something wrong, instead of saying like, you know, you're grounded, like it should be like, hey, you know, what do you think should be the consequence of this behavior and involve them in that conversation. And so, I don't know, I, I'm like fairly deep down the rabbit hole of conscious parenting and, you know, how to like encourage discipline, you know, like without, you know, sacrificing like on on all the love part, but yeah, easier said than done, but certainly, you know, independence, collaboration, and then, you know, making sure that, you know, Grades and achievement as the sort of like end goal in itself is not is not the thing. I, I really feel like I grew up in a household that valued like curiosity above all, all else. I was always a great student, but it wasn't because somebody was like, gun to my head, you need good grades. It was because I was, you know, I I just like was really like intellectually inspired. And I hope to give that to my children. It doesn't necessarily have to be reflected in grades.
0: Yeah, I think that distinction between goal-oriented parenting versus process oriented parenting almost seems to be the really important difference to be made here but i can imagine like certainly easier said than done on that note let's take this over to talking about the internet right like it's it's this thing that's ingrained in all our lives and it's at the heart of what you're building for it startupy but before we get into talking about startupy let's start about talking about the problem at hand for a moment it seems that the internet is just this inextricably noisy place where in order to find anything of real value, you need to know where to go or, or actually spend the time looking for it. Do you think this is just an unavoidable side effect of dealing with mass amounts of information or could we do a better job of indexing?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it's unavoidable. I think bad incentives ruined the internet. If you think about Google, you know, the reality is that there's a lot of content. But SEO, like when when Google first started, massive amounts of information was not a problem. In fact, they needed to find ways to encourage more information. And so we live in a completely like different reality than we did back then. And I think unintentionally, you know, we ended up creating this environment where the highest value niches are gained by the world's best SEO marketers. And the most insight dense content is rarely optimized for search. Or social, and that's why you see things like TikTok is now like a search engine, or you know Reddit as a search engine. And so, so I think like bad incentives is a is a huge thing. The moment that you know you have like adwords, then you know there's like all sorts of like you know bots and advertorials and all sorts of things. I think the other thing is that if you think about who publishes content on the internet today, it's content marketers. It's journalists, and think about the incentive of a journalist. Like they still need to put, like you know, the same way that you know, like, like food producers put sugar and all sorts of processed stuff on our food so that tastes better, so we keep buying it. You know, like media companies are going to put a ton of like sugar and clickbaity stuff on our media so that we keep keep coming back. And so again, it's like bad incentive. So you think like so there's journalists, there's content marketers, and there's also like a lot of like personal branding, like hot takes people on twitter type of thing i'm really fascinated by the fact that there's a lot of like the operators the people with like deep insights that don't necessarily like spend their lives building an audience they don't have like a way to like publish and get a ton of distribution like you google hiring advice you're gonna get indeed.com like seo garbage you're not gonna get like the sort of like hidden gem blog authored by Graham, Duncan, some like under the radar, you know, operator, and, and that's a problem. And it's a problem that I think we can solve if we sort of built a search engine focused on people. It, you know, now there's there's a lot to be said about like, how do you make sure that some of that stuff is not gamed and we could get into that stuff. But I do think that, you know, the internet is fairly young still. We built the first era of the internet on the back of these ad-based business models. We've learned a lot. And in this new era, there's a lot that we can do to build like more like human curated knowledge networks.
0: That's like the coolest teaser. We'll like beat around the bush with startupy for a minute. I have this different kind of question because, you know, keeping all the stuff in mind with so much like short form, easily digestible information available to us, if we know where to look anyway, working in the middle of all of this, are you someone who reads books or any long form stuff at all? Do you still see value in that?
1: I read a lot of books. I love long form. I do subscribe to the belief that most books should be essays and most essays should be tweets. Like in, in general, you know, I, I think, I see the world through the lens of incentives and oftentimes, you know, book has to be long because, you know, the publisher needed it to be a certain like length for, you know, some like industry sort of standard or incentive. So I read a lot of books. I, you know, I'm very, I think particular about, you know, what books I consume because it's very time consuming. I do think books are a great format that said, like I actually, I read an interview by Patrick, O'Shaughnessy this week. He basically was talking about the future of audio and why he thinks podcasting is so incredible. And one of the things he said is, which really resonated is it takes him about an hour and a half to record a podcast that will be listened to millions, millions of times. And it would probably take him a year, if not longer, to put that same content in book form. And so you know it, it's just like there there are all of these formats that feel very easy to consume very timely because you know books just take a lot longer to produce and so you know with the world changing so fast i think there are just other really interesting mediums but i think that the internet also has a crazy bias for recency and there's so much wisdom buried in books and you know i i you know i think that there you know books are an amazing medium and i think we'll continue to be
0: Okay, cool. So we've been, we've been beating around the bush a bit, but this really brings us to what you're working on at at Startupy. So along with the typical like elevator pitch for what it is, I'd love to hear how the idea came about. I think, I don't know if you remember, I was lucky enough to have stumbled across it like a year ago and DM'd you maybe a little more than a year when it wasn't much more than just a database, but it's, it's evolved into something really, really beautiful. So why don't we start there at the beginning?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's super interesting because it's like I still think it's day zero. And I, yeah I'd love to share the story because it was very accidental. So, yeah, I think you mentioned you asked me earlier about my career. So I spent about five years doing consulting and venture investing. And in that job, I was essentially like being paid to hang out at the edges of the Internet and find really interesting stuff, read really interesting stuff, get really smart on a space, fall deep down rabbit holes. And so over time, you know, I was, you know, I would talk to a founder building a business and I'd be thinking of this thing I read that I wanted to share with them. And my mind was just making all of these connections. And at one point I was like, all right, I'm going to start a date, like this database for my own personal utility. And over time, this database, which I was building on Airtable became this like gigantic, like interconnected database where I had content and highlights and topics and companies that I was tracking and people and it became such a powerful tool like anytime I would be thinking about something I would start it was like my own personal google in a sense and so I started thinking very deeply content discovery and search and sort of like tools for thinking and this kind of stuff and it and I think the thing that like it sort of dawned on me that this thing that I was doing would be a lot more powerful in a collaborative setting, right? So, if you think about there are like a few things happening, right? So, on the one hand, search is deteriorating in quality. We know that, you know, if you want to find like, you know, what are interesting people saying about NFTs, that's like Google's not the best place for that. Like when things require context and judgment, Google's not a great place for that. And so, and on the other hand, a lot of curation Is happening in single player tools, right? So people are curating their second brains on Notion or My Mind or Rome or whatever. But none of these things are happening in a networked environment. And so you think about something like Wikipedia, which is an incredible sort of like human achievement to on on the collective intelligence front, but you know, what is the equivalent of that for perspectives? If I want to find the most interesting content on you know, you name the culturally relevant topic, where do I go? And so, yeah, I think like it, it was a side project for me. It was a very much a passion project. How do I go from this air table to having other people contribute to this air table? And I think it's like slowly um, as more people have like believed in me and believed in this idea, it's morphed into something else. More recently we have a team. And so we're now essentially like thinking about this vision from the ground up. Like, what does this interface look like now that we have like resources to build this thing well? And so in some sense, what you see today is essentially like the database that I built out there with a select group of people able to contribute, but the product is gonna have quite a bit to allow anyone really that has is curating to port some of that stuff to startupy to have a single place where they can share and where their ideas can bump into other people's, right? Because ultimately it's pretty lonely, I think, to, you know, continue to take notes on podcasts or this and that on a you know like Rome database when you know the reality is that the, like we need to accelerate like the world's path to insights. Like the information is already here. It's just not evenly distributed.
0: Once again anticipating the next question, which is to get, I guess, a little bit existential, why do any of this in the first place, right? Like why why is quote unquote good knowledge worth indexing when it's out there already, even in, you know, the really hard to find places? Like to you, is it is it a question of I actually I think the better question here would be do you see startupy as an engine for intentional or more serendipitous discovery?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think Both. I mean, startupy today works when you have clear search intent, right? Like we're not a great place today. We're not like the way you start your day when you're like Twitter, where you just like open your Twitter and just like, you know, scroll. I also think that the social media tools we have today, like essentially you overdose on serendipity because you don't have a goal. Like you just open them and they sort of like suck you in. And so I'm interested in Definitely like the search intent, because it sort of shifts us from a world where information demands our attention to information on demand. Right. So, you know, I don't need to read the, you know, like Packy's newsletter on magical software today, but I'd like to read it when I'm thinking about like how to make my software more magical right? So so I, I think so much of the indexing value for me is a function of we need to build interfaces that are more goal-oriented, where we're not just like overdosing on the latest, which is not like leading us anywhere. And so, yeah, I think a lot about like, what does it look like to build interfaces that are more geared towards learning and goals and and productivity? Because if you think about, you know, like there's, I sort of like plot the competitive landscape for startup as There are single player tools, which are all around like productivity, like the ones I mentioned, you know, Raindrop, ReadWise, VineMind, et cetera. They're all single player, but they're productivity. And then there are all of these multiplayer tools, but they're all geared around audience building and fame. So TikTok and Twitter, and, you know, they're not really like personal, like productivity, social utility. You're just like, they are like, it's geared around vanity metrics. And so, what does it look when I think about like, what do I want from the internet? I don't need a place to collect more followers. I need a place that is like serving the purpose of identity, belonging, knowledge, utility, but in more social ways. So, how do we combine personal productivity with social discovery in more constructive ways? And that's sort of the, the space we want to play in.
0: To take a different angle here, at the, at the heart of this thing is this concept of collective intelligence that really powers the machine, but that comes, I mean, in my mind anyways, with a real need for vetting people. Do you agree with that? Like, like, how do you find the types of people to willingly provide in great information into this database?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, right now it's, you know, part of the our strategy has been to launch with a very sort of small and contained group of people to set the tone and to keep it consistent. Like, you know, startupy today, our curators have a certain vibe and they're interested in tech and culture and society and some of these themes. And so, you know, in some ways it allows us to, you know, cause the product is not quite there yet. So it allows us to, you know, if we were to open like the guard gates on day one, it could become really like quickly become a mess. That said, I don't think we, like we grow with like a sort of super exclusive group. I think that most of the value on the internet has been created in, you know, very open ways. And so there are ways to do that very thoughtfully. I think one interesting thing that we think about is if we were to open Up tomorrow and, you know, there would be like a flood of contributions, then the question becomes like, you know, how do you sort and rank all of that content? And, you know, Google obviously has like domain authority. There are a lot of really sort of like Interesting ways that are unique to our data structure that we can lean on. So, for example, you know, if you curate something on Startupy and somebody else curates the same thing and adds it to their own collection or something like that, there are more connections to that one thing. So there is, there are like different ways to create like better mechanisms for sorting and ranking. And and so in some ways, you can imagine like you know you can you can if over time go on Startupy, search for a topic, and you could sort that topic by people you follow or you can sort that topic by like you know the most like connected pieces on the network. So, you know, you can expect the platform to evolve to let more people in. We just want to make sure we get the product right and that's going to take some time, but we're very much working on it and yeah, we're trying to be super meticulous about what does this interface look like.
0: Makes sense. On that same note, how do you think about incentivizing curation, right? The the types of people, like you mentioned, finding these amazing ideas online and and putting them into a database are, you know, oftentimes I'd I'd imagine to be quite busy in their own lives. So how do you solve the problem of like sustainably getting this high quality or, or high signal inflow? Is it, totally passion or, or purpose driven, like you see in a lot of open source software projects, or is there like a sustainable model for incentivizing yeah. or compensating? It's, a, it's
1: such a good question because when I had my Airtable database and I was like, all right, I wanna do this with more people as a side project, the thing that kept me up at night was how do we incentivize people? And that's sort of what led me down the Web3 rabbit hole. I actually even launched a podcast called Tokens But How, where I was talking to a bunch of people about, you know, how do we like incentivize people to contribute knowledge to this network and, you know, collective ownership and all that stuff. And it's interesting because now that we have an experiment in the open for a couple months, I think that. First of all, I think a token is no substitute for utility. Like people are not going to contribute to a thing to get a token, and if they do, it's probably like not the kinds of people that you want. Like we learned this, like we had a bounty system, and the kinds of people that wanted to earn a quick buck, they weren't just going to produce like the highest quality thing. So, so they're you know I still very much believe that people that put their sort of work into something deserve to benefit from it. But I also wholeheartedly believe that a token is no substitute for utility. Now, how do we incentivize curation? So curation is interesting in that people curate on their own for a personal utility anyways. So the challenge is not getting people to curate, because people are already doing this. Like, you know, Twitter is social curation. You know, like Instagram is social curation. You know, you could argue that people there are incentivized by Social capital, but you know the, the the challenge for us is like to actually build a product where the value that you get from contributing to Startupy is really high, and that is not necessarily monetary value. It can be value in the form of oh, you know, I like I discover I added something to this topic, and now I like see other connections people are making to this thing, and so it becomes a really interesting source of discovery for that purpose. So my sense is that. Curation is already happening. A lot of it is happening in single player. It's largely a tooling question because there is no place today for you to say, like outside of maybe like a notion or whatever, there is no networked tool for you to say, like, hey, here's like Alex's like intellectual resonance trail, all of the things that I've read that have that I've highlighted that that have resonated. Like, you know, you're probably reading a ton of stuff, but there's no tool that allows you to like really easily take all of that stuff put it in a in a place that like, you know, is like yours, it's searchable, it's shareable and it's sort of connected and and bumping it to other people. So, you know, my sense from, you know, a lot of the conversations I've had is that people want this. It's just it's just a product and a design challenge to get it right.
0: Got it. So what does startup look like to you when that initial vision in, in whatever form you, you sort of had it has really been played out like five to 10 years from now? What do you think this whole thing looks like at scale?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that like the thing that drives me, like I truly believe that the thing we are in this world to do is to acquire knowledge and share it. And I think hmm. we need better interfaces to do that. So What that for me, like the, the thing that the end state for me is like, I would love to see a world where the best knowledge on the Internet is curated and interconnected by people somewhere on the Internet where you could go in, like fall down a rabbit hole. And it's all like it's so rich and it feels very human. And, you know, I use the term like trail intentionally because I think a trail something that you do for yourself but it's also something you leave behind for others and there's something to be really special about going like like using like content to connect with people because on instagram like you know instagram encourages a very specific type of behavior and people connect through that through pictures of my children and so every platform encourages a certain type of behavior but for curious intellectuals on the internet that you know nerd out over you know some really like insightful piece like what is the place where you go to truly like like bond with people over that stuff and you could argue like Twitter is the closest version to that but I just I just don't think that, that that's where it ends. Right? Like there has to be something that's a little bit less stream, that's a little bit more flow, that's a little bit more wiki, that's a little bit less like, you know, ephemeral. And so yeah, I'm just fascinated by by these questions and by the challenge of like manifesting some of these ideas.
0: When you think about when you think about scale, it seems to me that oftentimes there's sort of this inevitable loss of these like more nuanced elements of humanity that you find in a lot of these products. Do you think that this concept of collective intelligence solves for that loss of humanity? I've heard you use this example of Amazon customer service and how it's like impossible to, to get a hold of a real person on the, on the other end of the line. I'm sure everybody sort of experienced something like this. Do you think it's possible uh, to design a system to prevent that from happening?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that I'm I fascinated by by this question because I wanna create software that brings people joy. And when I think about, you know, where do I wanna go get coffee? Do I wanna go to Starbucks or do I wanna go to like a boutique amazing local coffee shop in my neighborhood. For me, it's usually the latter. And so, you know, there's a lot to be said about like small and niche and, you know, like these like more delightful interfaces. So, you know, I, what is like the right-sized version of startup I I don't know, because it's interesting when we are designing the product, so much of like what comes up in conversation is, you know, what like what scale you're designing for really impacts product decisions. Because if you're designing, assuming good intent, you end up building something totally different than when you're designing, assuming that like hundreds of pe- thousands millions of people are going to come in and try to game the system. So, you know, definitely has like real ramifications for us. I think there are examples of companies like Apple is a really great example of a company that, you know, like in the words of Steve Jobs, they encourage big thinking, but small everything else. Right. Like, you know, his like the most effective way to become a big business. He like would argue is to maintain the culture of a small business. And so, you know, time will tell. I think that there's a world where Startupy can like serve, you know, a like large niche niche of people really, really well. And there's a world where Startupy, you know, can scale and become a lot larger than that. I am not necessarily driven by creating an empire. I am driven by delivering like joy and delight and, you know, just like awe and some, like bringing some of these like experiences on the internet. Cause when you find something on the internet that you like knew you were meant to find and you were like, you try to like recreate like, wow, how did I stumble upon this? It's such a magical feeling. And I, I would like more people to, to feel that. And so in some ways, like it'd be really valuable for a lot of people to have access to startupy because your information environment, like in some ways like dictates your life, but time will tell like, what is like the right size, you know, to, to actually like not compromise on, on these values.
0: All right. So to get into some different kinds of questions here, I've pulled a couple from this list of great questions you curated on Startupy that come from this piece called 10 Infrequently Asked Questions by Jessica Hagey. I don't know, Jessica, on the off chance that you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Don't mean to butcher your last name. It happens to me too. Okay. The first is what would make you happy to do more often?
1: Honestly, like I think I'm having the classic maker versus manager dilemma where i'm like in meetings all the time and just like reacting to things and i i drive a lot of satisfaction from long stretches of focused thinking and time to sort of read and reflect um that just makes me really really happy and oftentimes when i'm in a bad mood like the likely reason for that is because i haven't had enough like alone time with my thoughts
0: the second one I have here, it's a bit broader, if you could even imagine. The question is, what does it mean for you to be good?
1: Ooh, that's a hard question. Um, yeah, I guess like where my mind goes with that question is, is really about having the peace of like, there's nothing better in life. Than, and nothing brings me more peace of mind than when what I think, what I say, and what I do are in harmony. And so to me, living a good life is just like making sure that those things are all very consistent.
0: I think one other thing I see through a lot of your work is these undertones of emphasizing like the prioritization of long-term games and the relationship between inputs and outputs there. And I think you have a really interesting perspective on this as cliche as it might sound, but as a mother and as a startup founder, you're really investing yourself into working on things for like long periods of time with these ambitious visions or or goals in mind. Am I getting to anything with that? Do you think about that at all?
1: Oh my gosh, I think about this so much. And I think that it's interesting. I think as humans, we are very much wired for short-term games like hunter-gatherers had no use for long-term plans. It was all about like survival and like, you know, getting the food for that day. And I think we have a lot of that like biological instinct. And I certainly feel like the the thing, like if I could focus on just start up these long-term vision and not be caught up into like short-term games of like maybe chasing like, short term, like add revenue or usage or like, you know, if I was thinking, if I had the luxury of I have 10 years to do this, what would you like? Imagine how differently we would act if we knew that this was going to be a 10 year project and there was no expectation or outcome or yardstick for the next 10 years. It would be so different that, you know, that you would probably look at my calendar today and, you know, 50 percent of things I'd be doing are would no longer be useful or needed. And so I do think that The people i admire the most are the people that are long-term thinkers in fact there was a the founders podcast which i've recently fallen down the rabbit hole of you know some of them like like best people best founders out there literally like commit to something for 70 years and it takes them maybe like the first 10 years there's nothing there's nothing and so i think that as humans we just expect and maybe it's all again like the the media right like we expect things to happen overnight but I really do think that if I commit to the problem of you know content discovery on the internet for ten years there's no question that I'll succeed there's it's a question of time frame and so I I really really think that part of it is like biological but part of it is the systems that we've created encourage you know think about like the stock market you know an investor that needs to report quarterly or a company that needs to report quarterly you know you just like care about like short term markups and so it it really like drives so much of the decisions is, are just driven by short term thinking and i i i really want to try to align and when i think about the kinds of partners that we want surrounding startupy i want to align with people who care about the long-term. And by long-term, I mean like 10 plus years.
0: You know, on a similar theme of, of mindset there, I think playing long-term games really puts you into the state of prioritizing like consistency over intensity, right? Like this is often put into the context of, of like exercise, but working out for like, you know, five hours one day will do nothing near what working out for 30 minutes for even a month every every day will do, for example. Um, Obviously we've spoken about parenting and about startups, but do you see this applying in other areas of your life?
1: Honestly, when when you say like consistency over intensity, where my mind goes is, I think a lot of what I've worked on personally as a founder is detaching myself from outcomes and really focusing on the process right so if you have if you have a love for the adventure and for the process and for the journey the outputs will take care of themselves and even if they don't like the journey was worthwhile and so i think that when you when you like prioritize intensity i think it's because there's an obsession with the end goal whereas when you think about consistency you care more about the process and the inputs and so i i think in my case i have such clarity around like what is the end goal for startup but I know it's gonna be like a twisty windy road. And so instead of just like like becoming crazy intense about hitting that goal, it's about thinking like back to like, what is the thing that I could do today in that process to lead to that goal, but detaching myself from the outcome, really like becoming obsessed with the process to get there. So that's sort of like where, where my mind goes with that question.
0: Actually, I want to go back to something you said like, I don't know, 10 minutes ago or something. And it's this idea of like you needing a ton of time to just sit and think or like sit and write and work on something. And I feel like I'm very much the same where if I'm doing any kind of writing or anything, I'm very much the type of person that needs maybe maybe four hours to just sit down and do it rather than work in, you know, 30 minute increments or something. But if we were to sort of suspend disbelief and play around with this idea that I think I've, I've seen you write about or, or you mention this idea of. Paying people to go down intellectually rich rabbit holes, right? This idea of incentivizing and, and compensating curation. Who were some people that you'd pick personally to be a part of that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question because I just ran an experiment around this. We, I call them thinking micro grants. I was I was inspired by this idea of instead of like universal basic income, what if we had universal thinking income, where instead of being dragged into short term games, we could just like spend time thinking about something that we. Care about, which goes back to I think that the reason for this is because back to the question of media and incentives. Most people that write for a living, their job is to essentially like type faster than they can think, and so there's just like it's it's there's it's a very like thoughtless environment out there. And so the people I think that I'd love to hear from would be people like Patrick Collison, for example. I'm sure you know he doesn't have a ton of time to write and share, but there you know I'm sure there's just so much. So I I guess like I would just go as far as possible from the traditional media and like traditional think influencers like you know now that we have all these like think influencers on Twitter you know it's just like specific type of person I want to hear from the people that have been in the trenches that have built stuff that are not writing for a living but actually have a lot to say. And so I guess like Patrick calls is as an example, other people who I love and respect as writers who publish more sporadically, somebody like Eugene Way, for example, I think is amazing. And so, yeah, I'd love to just see more from those kinds of people.
0: All right, sorry. Two questions to sort of close us out here. The first is in line with a lot of the topics we've spoken about in diving deep down internet rabbit holes and and finding really rich short form content to think about. All of that in mind, what idea, concept, or, or even practice are you most interested in at this moment that you found fairly recently?
1: Yeah, I guess, yeah, for me it's, I'm deep down the like Product design interface rabbit hole because we're like very much spending time on that. So, you know, it's designing social interfaces that are more conducive to thinking. So, I'm very deep down that rabbit hole. And also, yeah, I'm very interested in small teams achieving big goals. Like, so there's a lot of just like, Management and leadership, and I'm spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, what are the ingredients that you need to get, you know, a small group of six people to build something incredible. So those are like the the two sort of short term things that that I'm personally working on.
0: The last question I have is one I tend to ask people every time I do one of these because I, I generally think it yields pretty good answers. But the, the question is outside the scope of what we spoke about today. What do you think more people should be paying attention to?
1: What do I think more people should be paying attention to? Yeah, I, I think that more people should realize that writing is networking for introverts and that they're just an essay away from a flood of opportunities in life. And that they're, as much as there's information overload, I actually think the supply of the world's best essay on X is actually fairly low. And if you sat down and said, you know what, I'm going to spend the next like month or two writing the best thing there is on X, you'd probably get, like get to write the best, the world's best thing on X because media incentives today are not designed to give you enough time and space to do that. So I, it's, it's funny, a lot of the sort of the writing that I've done over the years, it struck a chord. People are like, you know, how did you do that? And like, it's, you know, it's not there is like people like think it's genius when it's really just time, like anyone with enough time for sense making and to let these ideas marinate could come up with something great. And I, yeah, I, you know, I was just like somebody that decided to write on the Internet one day and it changed my life and career. And I, I hope more people um, take that leap.
0: Sorry, I think those are wise words to close this out. That's everything I got for you. This has been amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It's been an honor.